Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 19th Tea Podcast. It is just roots for you this episode, but I am joined with one of the most recognisable golfers in Australia. He has a magnificent head of hair, a magnificent beard. I am, of course, talking about Jack Wilson, and uh, that magnificent head of hair is going to be gone in just a couple of weeks uh, as he undertakes the dreaded shave. I'm very, very excited to welcome him to the podcast. Jack, thanks so much for joining us in, in what's a massive week for golf in Australia. Yeah, mate. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'm uh, I'm certainly looking forward to this week, and and um, a little uh, a little nervous about next week. I'm not gonna not gonna lie. Yeah, well, you are getting rid of your your dreadlocks. It is probably your, I suppose it's your identity in many ways. Is is the dreadlocks? Tell us a little bit about the dreaded shave. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Look, I think um, the last four years, the the head of hair that. And then, then with the addition of the beard and a couple of other things along the way have certainly become my identity. Um, I think my brand and, and, and the message that that contributed to w- was there before it. But, uh, you know, it's all come to this where it's allowed me to, to have a platform to to serve a bigger purpose, I guess. And, and um, you know, growing up in the Golden Valley and, and down the road from the great Jared Lyle, um, I sort of had a little bit of a connection there. And although we, we didn't spend a great deal of time together, we certainly crossed paths. And and since then, earlier this year, we both Riz and I were lucky enough to attend a, a fundraiser um, at Vic Open. And from that, it formed into a relationship with Luke the Duck, a, a branch of Challenge Cancer Foundation. And and I started spending time with Brioni, um, Jared's wife, and and also in the foundation at Challenge and, and with some of the kids that, that are part of, of that fantastic organisation um, and that support network. And, and yeah, I guess the idea came to me a couple of months ago and I, I rang Brioni and ran out past her. And she's really been the, the brain's trust behind it, formulating into what it's become and, and the dreaded shave for what, what it is now. Um, so huge credit to her. But, um, you know, to have a platform that, that has formed from, you know, that, uh, I guess, pushing the boundaries and, and trying to, to make golf accessible to a wider demographic has now given me this opportunity to, to do something very special. It's a great cause, as you mentioned. Um, are you worried you're going to lose your identity, identity, Jack? Everyone knows you for your dreadlocks and it might be gone. Yeah, mate, but as I said, it's, it's so much bigger than me and, and whether I've got hair or not, I'll still be, <laughs> be pushing the same message um but yeah look it's going to be scared i'm to say i'm i'm scared is uh is certainly the case um um i look in the mirror i don't know whether i'm not don't even know if i'm going to be able to recognize myself let alone whether i'll have a girlfriend on december 21 (laughs) christmas might be a little bit different now your family will be wondering who the hell this bloke is who's walked in the uh who's walked in the door um we'll, we'll round out to it again at the end but um how can people uh donate and get involved with the dreaded shave 
Mate, yeah, look, it's a fantastic cause. Anyone that heads to any of the social media platforms for myself for Challenge, Loop the Duck, or just head over to challenge.org.au forward slash donation forward slash, you, you'll easily find it there. Just be sure to click the dreaded shave. Any contributions is, is so greatly appreciated. It's going to a fantastic cause. Any money raised from this, this initiative will specifically go towards kids that lose their hair during chemo and building custom built wigs for them. Um, an expense that is often well out of the reach of, of families going through the expenses of treatment um, and something that might seem small, but the value of a wig really is priceless. And, you know, I'm very lucky to have a head of hair like I do and, and, and the choice to look the way I do, but, kids going through that terrible time lose that choice and if we can help to give that choice back it that's a pretty special thing to do so i'd encourage anyone it is a fantastic cause and i do really think it's going to be quite funny when i turn up to the first tee on saturday and um the starters may not let me hit off because uh they won't recognize me <laughs> a bit of an id check it is a fantastic cause and we obviously encourage our um our audience to to get involved and donate to the to the dreaded shave because a, a wonderful uh, cause as you mentioned and of course uh, Jared's memory and legacy not only lives on with the in the golfing community but also the wider wider community as well. We'll round back to that and make and it sure will that- be on the. Um, sorry to interrupt, mate. Just just it will be on December twenty, which is Yellow Day at Australian PGA right, this yeah. year too, which is dedicated to Jared and his memory. Um, everyone both patrons spectators officials players um, volunteers will all be encouraged and and urged to wear yellow um, to the the color of challenge cancer foundation and an organization that jared was so heavily involved with and uh yeah just just to support that cause and and really get the message out there about uh, about what we can uh, what we can do to help Absolutely. It's a wonderful cause, as, as you mentioned, and we'll uh, make sure that we finish uh, this, this episode with uh, that link again. Let's go right back to the start, Jack. For, you're from country Victoria. You're a good country, country boy. How did you get in, involved with golf and why golf? Yeah, mate, it's, I guess it's, it was one of those ones. We moved across the road from a golf course, Rich River Golf Club, um, just on the, on the border of, of Victoria, New South Wales, there on the Murray River. Um, I think my parents were saw the opportunity to to get me out of the house and and get me outside and they sort of I got the gentle push from from dad particularly I think and and I I was probably one of those kids that was was I had the hand eye coordination I was mediocre at every sport and I just loved sport and loved trying everything and and golf was one of the ones that it probably wasn't as much competition I enjoyed not letting a team down. Um, and the, I guess the challenge that golf offers, it, it, there's no question it's the hardest sport in the world. And um, I think I, I saw quick progression and I, I saw the incentives of, of the work being put in. And, and yeah, I got hooked. I think like everyone that has played this game, they, they get the bug at some stage. And uh, I got it pretty early at, you know, that was at sort of 10 or 11. And, and yeah, and here we are. Did you take to it quickly? It's a question I like to ask all of our guests. Was it a game that you took up um, and then you just took to it naturally or was it a game you sort of had to, to ply at, you know, many, many years before you started getting to a, to a semi-reasonable level? Oh, absolutely, mate. It was, it was something that 
I'm pretty stubborn. I think personality wise, you ask anyone around me, it's one of those ones. If it's probably why it, it stuck with me as long as it did is because I probably didn't excel in it as quickly as, as I would have liked. And golf's one of those ones that you, you're never going to really reach what you thought your potential was. So I can think of the best rounds I've ever had and, and recall leaving shots out there. So, you know, it is that, I think that, that really caught me. And I, I guess I, I saw the ball going in the air and I, I saw the ability to get it round, but it frustrated me so much and it got me so, so into it that, that, yeah. And then, you know, you fast forward a little bit through high school and I wasn't even the best golfer in my high school in country Victoria. Hmm. Um, it was, it was one of those ones that I wanted to play sport for a living. And if I was to do that, then, golf was really my only option it was the one that I'd I'd worked at the hardest but yeah my amateur career was was pretty <laughs> pretty slim to be honest I um yeah I, finishing high school I'd I'd been a part of one schoolboys team and I was the sixth pick in that team of six and I played a few matches not all I got the yeah I think I got the nickname I got in that team was the Magoo because I was playing down the bottom all the time. And uh, and that was sort of the end of year 12. And then, you know, here I am making a decision to to try and play some amateur golf and, and chase it around a little bit. What was that decision like? Because I imagine it's you're, you're probably presented, um, you know, when you leave high school, you're presented with a choice that you either sort of go to university, you go to TAFE, you get a trade or, or you sort of pursue professional sport and and you took a pretty big leap i suppose in 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 pursuing professional sport what was behind i suppose that decision naturally a love a love for the game would be right up the top i'd suggest absolutely a love for competition i think more than anything and and probably a lot of people telling me that i couldn't do it um as as much as that may not seem like the right motivation for some it it certainly gave me a point to prove and I absolutely love sport and I love golf and I love competing. And, and that was my opportunity to do that. I, I, um, I explored a couple of different options, but you know, through high school, you know, I threw the idea out there that I was planning on playing golf professionally and a lot of teachers pushed back on it. And that probably urged me to work a little harder and <laughs> pursue a few things. And, um, you know, I, there was an interesting time when we finished school, um, 2008, there was, the end of that year, there was a actually a program in the armed service where you could go and sort of try it for a year and bank a decent decent wage and um, and not be committed for for the whole term. So I actually enrolled in that. Um, You're right. Do you? You know, uh, in the army, I even even infantry um, was was an option there to get in, but it was such a I think that was one of the first years it was offered, and it was such a highly sought after program with not not many spots and. I got knocked back and it's probably thankful because things might look a lot different to what it is now, what they do now. And I'd suggest your hairstyle probably looks a a lot, would look a lot different, Jack. (laughs) You wouldn't be rocking the dreadlocks in the army, mate. No, I can't imagine I would do, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's certainly from then on, I started, you know, I started traveling and and playing a few events, either with events in Melbourne and um, come late September I had the opportunity to move into a, a boarding house down in Melbourne border um, at the golf course that I'd been playing um, Colts 
tenant for Kingswood Golf Club at the time. Um, there was a member on there that I'd stayed with a couple of times that offered me a room and, uh, and yeah, made the plunge sort of September the year after school and went into the bar there and then progressed from there. You, you must have played a fair bit of country golf growing up and it's something that I've just started to dabble in myself and, and m- the top three courses that I've played here in WA are more than an hour and a half away from, from the CBD. There's something special about country golf, um, whether it's, I, I haven't really been able to put my finger on it um, compared to, to golf in the big smoke, I guess. What's your take on country golf? How do you, how do you see it, I suppose, growing up and, and now um, you're playing in the big leagues and playing on some of the best courses in Australia? How do you look back on country golf? Yeah, I, I I have country golf to thank for the not only the golfer I am, but the person I am today. I think I was very lucky to be part of a an atmosphere that I guess shaped me as a person. Um, it's it's allowed me to communicate. Country golf as a junior, you don't have as many fellow juniors, so you learn to communicate and compete with a demographic a lot older than you, and then. The golf courses were, you know, that they often don't have the facilities and the finances that the clubs in the big smoke do, but they manage to do such an incredible job. And the hospitality is always something, it's just, it's not better, I don't think, but it's different. Mm. And I, I love it more in the country because you, that's just what I grew up with. So it's always so humbling to go back to the country and play and, and I get back and play some primes now and it's, it's always amazing. But to, to put my finger on exactly what it is, I think you get such a large array of different golf courses in the country. Um, whether it be a golf course that's super dry, particularly where I grew up and, and now a lot of golf courses struggling with water, that somehow managed to make those, make them still golf courses. It's not yeah. just a blast away and it right like you've got to think about golf when you're on those courses and and really plot your way around and then i think the transition into golf in melbourne i was very lucky to be at the club bowls that but i made that transition quite well i think because i'd, I'd played such a different array of golf courses and when i got to the city it was like wow this is amazing i think the grass is a bit more consistent and you know i've got some surfaces that are that are pretty special and yeah, it took me a little while to adjust to the green speed maybe, but other than that, it was, it was just a great platform and a great building block to, to move into the, into the city. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you kind of nailed it there. It's, it's something that not a lot of people do. They regularly just, you know, play around, you know, their, their local area and, um, or, or, you know, within their home city, I suppose. And they don't venture out to some of these courses that are only, maybe an hour away and you think about you know you pay your $30 green fee in an honor box at some of these places and and the $30 that you actually put in that honor box makes a big difference to the to that club and I think every time I play a country club I think about the people that are you know playing playing that regularly and then you know they've got their pennants and their club champs and all the rest of it and 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 the contribution that you actually make um, whether it is a $30 green fee makes quite a um makes quite a, a big difference to to those clubs and and those areas so country golf is is something very very special i think 
Absolutely, mate. And the volunteer help that comes to just to make those golf clubs run is so special. There's there's so so many people that, and we often say it when we travel to the country and, and play these golf courses and see the standard of golf course that's put up for a fully should venture out and check out what's happening out there in the sticks because they could learn a they could learn a lot. So it's it's super special and something that I'd encourage all the time. Um, just getting back there, as I said earlier, for me now it's it is very humbling. I go from playing golf course like I did last week at the Australian Golf Club and I'll spend some time at Royal Melbourne this week and um, come early New Year's I'm gonna be down at Port Ferry and Warnable and Apollo Bay and little country tracks like that that um can't wait to get out there and have a little whack around with, you know, probably the thongs on and beer in hand. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I think you can't do that at a lot of Metro courses. Hey, um, you are probably, I would say, one of the most recognisable golfers on the Australian circuit at the moment. Was was your decision to, I suppose, become so recognisable and grow the beard and grow the dreadlocks, was that something that you conscientiously did or was that just... Is that just Jack Wilson, me and Jack Wilson? Yeah, mate, it wasn't always like this. I, you know, going through that, that amateur career and moving, you know, I, I was lucky enough to win a Victorian amateur championship with very clean cut, short hair, no beard, hadn't even <laughs> glimpsed at that. And then went through my traineeship at the private golf course in Melbourne, clean cut, you know, every time I tried to bring the beard out, I'd get told off and you'd be Is that right? back home to, make sure you put the razor on and, and get cleaned up. And it was very old school. Um, but, you know, growing up as a kid playing Tiger Woods on PlayStation, every one of my characters had dreadlocks. So, you know, it was always there. And then in 2013, I'm finished my traineeship. I managed to win WAPGA and I'm clean cut. Like I'm, you know, you see any photos. I then venture from there to Australian PGA a month later and finished third Adam Scott and Ricky Fowler in the Australian PGA Championship as a trainee, fully clean cut. From that, things spiralled, and, and my management team that were looking after me, even at the time, I think just preparing for that following year, said to me then, when I said I wanted to grow my hair, it was like, no, you need to stay, you know, you need to stay, you know, in the, I guess, in the mix and, and, mm. and make yourself more appealable to a wider range of sponsors. And uh, so I'd questioned the way I wanted to look and, you know, just growing hair. And I think, I don't know, I love living near the beach, mate. I love living there now. I love that mm. vibe of, you know, I guess being a little, little like I'm a nomad. I travel around as much <laughs> as what I do. I'm, I'm sort of a bit of a hippie, I guess. So um, I, I guess I wanted to look that way. And when I toyed with the idea, there was so much pushback that it brought me back to that time where people were telling me I couldn't do something. And, um, you know, seeing the decline of golf in this country and whatnot, I, you know, I probably had a bit of a stage of rebellion after a poor year in 2015 and went, you know what, I'm going to do it. And then once I did it and took that sort of little bit of a, I guess, little bit of a leap or that decision, and then the next few months of playing, noticing the pushback, I think I, yeah, I saw the fact that there was something, there was something to it. And I didn't intentionally do it to look a certain way. It was just the way I wanted to look. And, you know, 
I'd nothing adventure eventuated from being clean cut. And I thought, oh, well, then I've got nothing to lose and I'll try it. And it was a bit of a state of rebellion. And then it, yeah, it's, it's snowballed over the last four years and it's, it's had an impact. And I think that just highlights the, the state that golf's in. If I've been able to get this much attention solely with a head of hair and a beard, then there might be something that bigger at issue here and we might need to address it. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And, and we'll get on to um, the opinion piece that you did for Australian Golf Digest um, in, in a little while. It's something that we've discussed on, on this podcast as well. Just the rules, the archaic rules that are around golf um, are holding the sport back in a lot of ways from, you know, we had Brenton Ford from Cobra Puma on this podcast about a month ago. And he said, the ridiculous thing is that Cobra Puma sells black socks, but you can't wear black socks at half the metropolitan private golf courses so why are we selling them it's it's little rules like that that i think are holding golf in australia back and if you've got that much attention and that much pushback from your hair as ridiculous as that sounds then i think you're absolutely right that there's a bigger issue at play absolutely mate and and that's that's led to the okay so i saw how much pushback i got from my dreads so oh well i better grow a beard and sure enough, you know, the pushback, it was just like it all started again. I was like, oh, well, this is going to be funny because I knew that Riz was looking like Happy Gilmore's caddy at the time and as homeless as ever after spending uh, spending a year overseas. So, you know, the decision to bring him out was not only because I was, I think I, I was struggling a little bit with the enjoyment factor of the travel mm. and I had an opportunity to take my best mate on the road, but... I, I knew fully that, you know, it was going to create a stir, him looking the way he does. And I approached I approached the, the media people at the time, you know, leading into the event, which was the, the New, uh, New Zealand Open in 2017, uh, early, early 2017. I approached them and said, hey, I think this is a really good opportunity to ca- capture some amazing content. Um, it's pre-Masters. I think it'd be fantastic to to do some snippets of, you know, maybe some happy Gilmore takeoff <laughs> scenes and, and just sort of some, and reinvent that a little bit. And, and they just, it was wide eyed, couldn't believe that I was even suggesting it. Hmm. And you look at the footage from that New Zealand open that year and I finished fifth. I was clubhouse leader. I, I only finished two back and I didn't get a, didn't even get an interview after my round because hmm. no one knew what to do. They question, you know, they they commented briefly as we were on the 18th green there, but it was just a it was a scary time. It was I was you know I was testing the boundaries again and um, probably more so than ever and getting quite a bit of attention for it. And no one in the uh, the golf fraternity or the the media um, part of it, which which is a very old school mentality at the time, mm. didn't know how to act. And uh, and because of it, they put the put the barriers up and, and missed that opportunity. As it turned out, we we kept pushing and knocking on the door. And the video I think you've seen was later that year. And uh, and it I think it's still the most viewed video on that platform. So it's um, we got there eventually. But yeah, it did showcase again that exact point. And most recently, I now I'm I'm consciously not tucking my shirt in. Yeah, yeah, I did notice that actually. Out there. 
Yeah. So everyone's become accustomed to, to seeing Riz out there. So I thought, oh, what's next? Oh, there's no regulation that says I've got to tuck my shirt in. So yeah. I'll untuck it. And sure enough, it's, it's all started again. Like you, you see it in the comments on social media. <laughs> you see the boys out there. Um, and and look, um, if, um, if we want to keep it very straight lined and appeal to a very small demographic that wants to be that strict and concise, then then fine, I'll, I'll toe the line. But unfortunately, we don't have the population in this country to hold it up and yeah. we need to appeal to a wider demographic. That's pretty obvious. I can't see why anyone could disagree with that. And and that's that's my decision to, you know, the reason for my decision to, to keep testing the boundaries and, and keep putting the, the question out there, I guess. I reckon the next one for you is shorts. What well, I don't understand why why we can't why players can't wear shorts on professional circuits apart from in the warm up rounds. Like Yeah, we play, well you saw we play you in, saw in Europe two weeks ago in South Africa. Yeah. They allowed it for the tournament. So precedent's been set, but there is a there is a regulation around that. And it's ridiculous regulation. At this point in time, I, I, I can't, can't afford the fine no. or the disqualification <laughs> yeah. that comes with it. So, um, but mate, I'm all for it, 100%. I, I, I don't see why what we wear affects anything. Um, I think if you were, you know, if you were to see a, a fast form of, of golf, and I always compare the current state of traditional golf to test cricket, you know, the whites, everything perfect that way. Um, you know, if you if you were to... I think there's always going to be a place for that. Absolutely. Like, I love test cricket just as much as a traditionalist. And I think there's always going to be a place for traditional golf, the majors, um, the big events. But why we're trying to just solely do that time after time and not offer a number of different products is, is beyond me. And uh, I think it'd be, you know, if you want to have the major championships where you wear pants and you, you look that traditional way, then that's great. Respect for the game. Absolutely. But let's open it up, you know, shorter form, different formats, definitely shorts. It's a no brainer. If the weather permits, it's. Yeah. I think uh, it's really interesting because well, we've had this conversation plenty on this podcast about what, what does the future of golf in Australia look like? And and we'll hopefully get to speak to the powers that be at, at some point, but, you know, I have the personal opinion of who gives a shit what people are wearing. Just get them on the golf course. If it's a Friday afternoon at a public golf course and people want to have a beer and, and hit some balls on a driving range in a pair of thongs, then great. Let them do it. We should be promoting however people want to get involved in, in the game at, a, at an amateur level or a Saturday hackers level, if you like, then we should be encouraging that. We shouldn't be turning people away because they, you know, they don't tuck their shirt in or they, they don't have the right colour socks on or, or whatever it may be. I think if we continue to do that, I think golf is going to go down a, a very dark path in Australia. Unfortunately, mate, it's, it's already well and truly headed down that dark path. It's, uh, it's a long way down that road and we need to start making some pretty big decisions to, to turn that around. And the platform to get that out there and get that message out there is through professional golf. It's through the, mm. the top stuff in my Correct. opinion. And it, and it feeds right down to grassroots and, and, you know, kids getting kids involved in the game. We need to make it, we need to make it more fun and sexy. And, and we've got, a, we've got some pretty tough sports to compete with. I'm an avid AFL fan, like diehard. And, you know, I flick that on, you know, I'd much rather watch 
an AFL game than I would a game of golf. Mm. So, and I play it and it's my life. So if I can't turn golf on and, and watch that over other sports, then how can I expect any of my mates that just want to maybe dabble in it occasionally to, to want to turn it on and get interested? Um, I think that's something that we, we definitely need to address. And, you know, shorts is definitely a, a topic of conversation, but there's a lot of other stuff. I think, you know, there's so we could, we could talk for hours on the different formats that have never been tried or, you know, the, the idea of and concepts of night golf and you yeah. know, destination golf where you have, you, you look at waste management and what that model is and, and mm. how the, they encourage a different demographic to the golf course and, and open it up solely on one hole. I, I don't see why we can't be doing that. Certainly after the golf's finished or in amongst the cent- at golf courses, we've got more land than any other venue of, for sport. We've got the ability to, to utilize acreage that is there for other events and combine, you know, the golf course as a destination and, and bring people into, you know, that we'll, we'll see how cool it is and, and, and how challenging and, and just, you know, how good the opportunity to be outside playing sport is while they're, they're participating in something else at the same time. So there's just a number of different things that I think is, is there. And, and then don't get me started on music. I think we're, uh, I think that's, that's only a matter of time before we get uh, concert music playing all the time. Well, I did have a few other topics before I wanted to get to your Australian Golf Digest piece, but I think we've found a nice natural segue. <laughs> we're talking about the future of golf. So we're going to jump there now. Um, I thought it was a fantastic article that, that had been written uh, by yourself. And, and it was, and I suppose it speaks to the heart of what I suppose this little podcast is about in many ways. And last week we pitched our five big ideas for golf um, in the world in, you know, across um, a, a variety of levels. And one of mine was talked about miking players up and developing more content for people and giving people a greater access to, um, to the game, as you spoke about and really showcasing what the sport is, because there's some phenomenal stories at all levels, whether it's the PGA tour or whether it's the China tour or whatever it might be, there are wonderful, wonderful stories. And if we don't tell those, then how do we expect to, to grow the game? How do you, what are some of the things that I suppose, you know, you've touched on a few um, throughout this chat already, but what are some of the things, I suppose, the themes that you're hearing from yourself and, and your peers about where golf needs to go? Yeah, mate, look, firstly, I appreciate you uh, reading and commenting on it. That's um, it's good. It was, it was, yeah, certainly um, it was good to get the opportunity and I, I enjoy writing and, and it was great to get the, the ability to write in such a esteemed piece in, in the golfing industry. Um, I, I think that was, I, I could write for days on it, something I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, just going back to your idea, the top five, miking players up is, is a no-brainer. And I think it comes under the under the banner of, of closing the gap of relatability between spectator and player. Mm. Right now, that gap is so big. Um, you've got to stand, you know, besides a couple of events, you've got to stand outside the ropes. Your cameras are at distance. Um, yeah, with the exception of a couple of occasions, there's generally no real uh, inside knowledge of what happens and what yep. goes on between 
a player and a caddy, player and other players. Um, and I'm I'm hoping in the next week I'll have a piece of content that I'll put out through my my uh, my socials that will showcase a little bit of of what golf's like. Not only it, it was a game of golf between four mates and four competitive professionals that all play on the PGA Tour of Australasia, but it was yeah, and it was a social game for some for some money. Mm. But it's exactly how it goes in a tour event as well. Yep. There's banter that the, the spectators don't even think exists. Yeah. There's, there's camaraderie that we have that, you know, there's a mutual ground that we all understand how hard it is out there and, and what all, all the boys are going through. So you have that mutual respect and, and position. Um, and then there's also the other side of it. There's guys that don't get along and mm. we look at the current, the current state of TV, particularly in this country, um, you know, reality TV is something that golf is a platform to showcase some of that. Mm. And, you know, until we get progressive with our formats and I'm a big fan of the event that, you know, we did have on the schedule per super six Yeah. that when you got to Sunday and even Saturday, like afternoon, when you were starting to capture the guys on the bubble for the top 24, it was really good TV, TV that you could sell to a wider demographic because it was reality TV. It was guys on the on the cut line, and they either performed or they failed. And that's what you know. That's what people want to watch. They want to see that cutting edge performance. That guys that are the underdogs that step up, and guys that are expected to go through that that fall off. And that's sort of around that area is what you want to see. And then you move into a a match player one-on-one that is never, we never really get the opportunity to see except for once or twice a year. Um, That's something that golf and, and then you add what you've just talked about of miking guys up in that one-on-one with the capturing what the caddies are talking about and the the strategy that changes and and everything like that. And all of a sudden you, you open up a number of different, doors to entertainment and i think that is the the key word that golf's struggling with right now it's it's entertainment and in the sporting industry mate we we're essentially entertainment industry and if we don't entertain then we're not doing what we're meant to be doing so um that's the that's the crux of it all in anything that we decide to do moving forward and and it's one thing that to talk about the powers that be but it's the investment of everyone involved and golf as a whole and the professionals, myself included, we need to come together and all be on the same page. And and a lot of us are, and it's just getting the, the bigger, you know, the bigger powers and and bodies that above to, to get on board. And, And we all need a, I always use the analogy of, you know, golf is a particular in this country is a ship and, unless we're all on it and we're all moving in the same direction. Um, as soon as someone jumps off or isn't about that, we've got to stop and gather them back up before we can move forward. And right now the currents go in the other direction and we keep moving backwards. So, um, you know, we really need to, we really need to all come together and, and get on the same page and, and make some big decisions and, and commit to those and, and be, be willing to fail too. I think be willing for not everything to work, but, most importantly, be willing to put ourselves out there for the opportunity to, to succeed because 
just doing what we've done for a hundred years isn't going to work. It's never worked in any industry before with a lack of evolution and adaptation to, to the current climate of the industry. You can't succeed. So we need to start doing that and we need to evolve and we all need to be on board in doing it. Yeah, I think it's a, a, a really interesting point and you've absolutely hit the nail on the head um, and, and I've um, read some great articles around, it's called the Kodak moment and, and the companies who um, evolve with the times and, and keep up with the times will they flourish and, and the companies like Kodak who didn't uh, go down the, the digital revolution of the digital cameras, well, they eventually perish. So I think we're in a really interesting predicament. One that you touched on, which we haven't really explored on this podcast because we've never really had the time or the guts to talk about it, was time limits on shots and, and slow play. I suppose it's frustrating in many ways um, to see the PGA Tour come out and make an announcement um, that they're going to make an announcement after the Masters. I think that's the most frustrating part is that they don't come out and address it. And you know, to see, I, I like Bryson DeChambeau as much as the next bloke, but to see someone take two and a half minutes on a shot, like I, I'm going to turn golf off if that's how long we're going to take to, to take shots. And uh, is, it, is it something that you've seen amongst your peers that, that people are willing to, to have some sort of perhaps time, time limit on shots or, or penalties imposed? What's, what's the feeling out there um, inside the ropes? Yeah, Matt, I think... You could you could look at definitely the majority and and no one likes slow play. It's um it's something that makes it very difficult out there. If if we play a tournament round in under five hours, it's it's uncommon. Um, <laughs> and mate, I I'd much prefer a round of golf taking three hours. And I was lucky enough to play a couple of tournament rounds in when I was playing in Canada. That I was a one ball out at the start of the field and I cracked the three hour mark more than <laughs> once. Um, unfortunately, the only way to do that is in a one ball on your own, and that's not um, that's not something that's that's achievable in tournament golf, unfortunately. But look, I yeah, it's it's been toyed with a couple of times. The shot clock scenario. I know the shot clock masters in Europe was mm. was successful, but conservative. Um, and we talk about slow play out here, but it's one of those ones. It's it's hard to enforce. Um, you get behind because of something if you've got a guy in the group that is a little bit slower it sort of throws your rhythm off and you've got to try and gather and and whatnot but that that one guy you know has caused you to be slow um will soon quicken his act up when there's a rules official there and then as soon as they disappear they'll slip back into their yeah that's right their normal routine um so i'm a big believer in in the the idea of a shot clock and i think that investment and, and that's where it comes down to it again, is that the powers that be see it as too big of an investment for not enough return. And I think that that is an investment that is well worth the return. And we go back to the entertainment again. I think you'd see spectators that were not interested in golf, solely watching golf and an interactive shot clock there on the screen. When it gets close to that 30 or 40 second mark and I'd be more encouraged to go to 30 but I think 40 is probably a good place to start <laughs> incremental when gains it goes to where when it gets to that close to that 40 second mark and that player isn't quite there and he's going to have to rush it and pull the trigger there's a chance that he isn't going to pull it off mm. and that that's entertainment that there adds 
it adds a component of entertainment that golf doesn't have right now. And not only that, it enforces, it'll enforce rounds to be a hell of a lot quicker. Mm. Um, and mate, that's something we all want out there. Yeah. I speak on behalf of the majority there. There's certainly a few guys that, that do, do see it the other way. And unfortunately, I guess it gets amplified by the fact that, mate, a lot of guys are out there trying to earn their living. All yeah. of us, you know, yeah. that's, and when you get less and less opportunity, the importance of performing in these few events you get to play, uh, it's all heightened. And the last thing you want to do is walk off going, oh, I rushed it. Mm. And that's why I didn't perform. Mm. So it's yeah, got to be a little bit of education. And it's, it's got to be a little bit of education around it, but it's got to be a, it's got to be a firm ruling. And as soon as mm. it's put in place and, and it's there, Mate, you got to make the call on these things for for a bigger purpose. Unfortunately, that's that'd be an individual decision for you know for individuals on that. But if you rule on behalf of the majority, that's always going to be beneficial. And the majority goes beyond just professional golf; it goes to spectators and and the future of golf as a whole will benefit more so than the the few guys that will adapt to the the having to play quicker. Um, that, that's the bigger picture and we need to make the decisions upon that. Nothing else. The last one on, on the future of golf and, and we've fixed all the world's problems in this, uh, in the half now that we've, <laughs> we've been speaking, um, party marquees, noise on holes. Um, obviously the, the Phoenix open is, is infamous for it. Um, it, I, I mean, I get the respect aspect of it, but uh, you said, that you know, a majority of players couldn't care less if there was music playing or if there was a, a murmur or, or whatever. We see it at, at, on the 16th at the Phoenix Open. There's players pumping up the crowd to make plenty of noise when they're having a shot. Does noise really affect a shot that much? I'll tell you what, what really affects shots. It's when everyone goes quiet and all the quiet <laughs> police signs are up and then one phone goes off yeah. or someone coughs. <laughs> Someone starts talking. That's what'll put it off. White noise, music, everything like that. Constant talk, just the way it is. It's all it is is a habit, or or just a. It's just a habitual change that we need to just move past. Mm. And it's and you see it all the time in events now. There's there's the one event that has the music in the marquees playing and stuff like that, or the one hole of of an mm. event, and no one makes there's a couple of the old boys maybe and, and not not always the old boys either there's a couple of young guys there's there's a small minority that will push back against it but mm. it's a bigger thing that's getting to them it's not the fact that the music's playing it's you know their anxiety levels are amplified at that point sure. in time and that's the that's the excuse they can find to 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 blame so it's mate, it's hundred percent we need to encourage that's a that's a way to encourage a different demographic to a golf tournament it's a it's a great way to get a a food and, and drinks package in a great setting where you can potentially watch some golf and you know I'd love I love to see it on I'm really hoping this year at next week Australian PGA the 16th hole it's a party hole we've got the marquees yeah. behind we've got the yeah. Oakley Beach Club but they play it on the back tee and it's yeah. like a seven iron you're never going to see a hole in one. Yeah. Push that tee right forward. Give them, give the guys a wedge. Give the guys a nine iron. Mm. I know there's a million dollar hole chance, hole in one chance on a Sunday, and for insurance purposes, you're going to have to play it back. 
So play it back on that one day, but for the other three days, push that thing right forward and, and give the crowds something to get involved in Yeah. outside of that DJ and outside of that food and beverage. Mm. Really encourage them to, to get involved in the sport. And it's the same with, you know, and look, we could keep going forever and ever because I'm a big believer in making golf courses much more risk and reward. It's not about mm. making them easier, but it's about, you know, adding in that opportunity to take shots on and have different options. And I think that's what a real, you know, a good golf course is all about. It's, it's not about being long and tough. It's about being, having different options for every shot. And if you could offer risk and reward where guys are hitting drivers at par four greens multiple times in a round, then all of a sudden you have a marquee behind every one of those short par four greens, because there's the opportunity that, one day you might put the pin in a bowl and there might be an albatross. It yeah. just never happens. Yeah. And it's not about desensitizing everyone to the fact of how important that is and how great that is, but just give guys that little chance to get, and that's spectators will grab onto that. So mate, I'm yeah. also a big believer. We, we talk about the, the, like the, the, the velodrome or the hitting into the amphitheater mm. of, around a group. European Tour did it once last year, and I'd love to see more of it. Tee boxes that have got like a bar and a, all the way around it, and you hit out of a hit out of like a pigeonhole <laughs> inside a bar. I think that we need more of that. Yeah, just stadium golf as a whole, I think, is is something that we need to explore more. Absolutely, um, and just yeah. yeah bring more people in. Yeah, it's it's a great point. I'm off to the President's Cup. Um, We're recording this on Tuesday. I'm off to the President's Cup tomorrow and and we decided to go, I think it's the Captain's Club, which is a a marquee on the 11th or 12th fairway Um, or it might be behind the green even. And I'm really interested to see how that goes because that's got a bar in it. It's got food in it. And I just think it's impossible that you're going to be able to keep, you know, a thousand, two thousand people quiet for, you know, the best part of five, six hours. Um, so why not let's encourage the, a bit of party atmosphere about it. You'd, you'd absolutely attract a different demographic. You'd get younger blokes coming along and, and having a few beers and, and a bit of food and, you know, chucking out a few sledges here and there. And, and why can't we, why can't golf become that, that um, I suppose, you know, a bit of that cricket atmosphere, I suppose. Let's bring it to golf and, and let's continue to grow the game. So, Man, I think you've uh, you've sold me. You've sold me. You've got my vote for you know, if, if you ever want to hang the clubs up and go into the uh, the marketing side of golf. You've you've got you've got my vote. Thanks, mate. And look, I'm I'm with you. I'm actually flying down to Presidents Cup tomorrow also. Um, and around that, I think the PGA Tour do it the best in the world. They mm. have the strongest brand. They have the most money to be able to be the most progressive. Um, and I'm really intrigued because, you know, the Ryder Cup was the most interesting event, I think, in modern times um, and how the, the atmosphere and the, I guess, the banter and chanting and stuff that has I've never really seen in golf. That's where it first come to light. And Riz and I are lucky enough to be doing some stuff for the PGA Tour. And come Thursday morning, we're actually going to be on the first tee in the stands with the fanatics. <laughs> and the way they describe these fanatics are like the Barmy Army yeah. and that of the cricket crowds. So Riz and I are going to be in there pumping the crowds up for an hour before the first tee time and probably half an hour after the, after the first group hits off. And we've got some chance lined up. I'm sure the fanatics, we've already been told the fanatics of both the internationals and the, and the Americans have got some chance lined up and 
mate, we are pumped to be able to get into that environment because that's Riz is, you know, he, he, he's never played golf before. So he, he hasn't got a golfing background at all, but he's got a huge cricket background. And he's mm. the biggest cricket lover. So he can recite most of the chants from any of the ashes and any of those, those um, cricket games. So he's, he's going to be in his element. That's us. You know, we've, we try to be very entertaining when we're on the golf course. I often find myself walking in amongst the crowd. There's been multiple times where I've been standing at my golf ball wanting to hit a shot and he's nowhere to be seen because he's in bantering with the crowd somewhere outside the ropes. So um, that's our environment. And, and hopefully the President's Cup this week is really going to showcase what that environment can be like at a golf tournament. And, mate, I look forward to hearing how that how that goes in the Captain's Club. It, you know, the, the idea of the name of the Captain's Club makes it sound like it's going to be very proper. Yeah, so I agree. Hopefully it is. Um, hopefully it is. Uh, you know, why don't they call it the the Legends Club? I don't even know. Like the Fanatics you know, Club. Call it something. The, the Fanatics Club. You know, like call it something like that. Something that encourages people to want that outside of golf to go there. You know, yeah. like and, and get involved. Like the Bird Cage at, at yes. Flemington. Cup, you know? yeah. Like it's got a name for just being a party. You know, yeah. like let's let's get more of that. So, mate, I, I look forward to hearing some feedback on on how you go in there and and by all means, make sure you hit us up and uh, yep. come down and watch us on Thursday morning. Yeah, we'll, uh, we, we might be in the stands with you because uh, <laughs> I'd suspect the Fanatics have been hard at work over the past 48 hours given uh, some of the the uh, news in the golfing world around uh, moving sand, shall, <laughs> we, the, uh, shall we say? And we'll, we might leave it at that enter one. Enter the Sandman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. enter, enter the Sandman <laughs> by Metallica. Oh, that'll be brilliant. Hey, you've dropped the name a few times throughout this uh, throughout this pod, and, and we're going to get back on track. We've solved the world's problems. We're getting back to my topics. Here. Tell us about Riz, because I watched the, this video with you and Riz, um, and he described himself as having not um, not a little bit of knowledge about golf. He described himself as having no knowledge about golf, and, and Riz is your caddy for those who don't know. Um, the video also showed him um, just talking shit with you down the, the, the fairway, talking to um, other players in your group. And at one point, um, a couple of the Ladbrokes girls came over, um, I think as you were teeing off actually, and he was, um, he was too busy asking them what they were up to and, and what they were up to after the, uh, after the round. So tell us a bit about Riz and, and his personality and why you two are such good mates. Yeah, so I think, you know, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but Riz and I grew up together in Country Vic in Echuca. We we went right through high school together. We've been best mates ever since early on in high school. Um, he's gone off. He's a he's got a science degree. He's currently doing his master's in education. He's he's a smart dude, um, and he's travelled the world. And then when we got the opportunity, he he yeah he's never played golf before. It was never something we we were best mates through school, not because of golf, not you know none of that and. And yeah, we'd always stay best mates and, you know, kept crossing bars. And when I had the opportunity to take him to my favourite place in the world that he'd never been, Queenstown, New Zealand, um, yeah, it, I certainly never predicted it to get to be a, a regular thing, having him on the bag, but it's fantastic. He He's a character. He is as organic and genuine as it comes across in every bit of content that you can find on him. Um, some would say he's very rare 
but he's honestly the most kind-hearted, genuine, funny, funny buggy you'll ever come across. And um, he disconnects with everyone on all different levels. And yeah, that video is is something we'll look back on forever. Um, we just we always talk about how funny it is on from where we've come from and what we've been able to do. And, and next week or you know, this week, you know, we're down at the President's Cup doing some corporate hosting and some content stuff and media and just how it's all come about is, is just so funny and ironic. And um, it, it's just great to have him out there. And he, he doesn't, he, as he says in that video, he doesn't, although, as I've said, he is a smart guy and he's picked up a lot in the last three years. He doesn't give me any, any real golf <laughs> direction. Just carries not. the clubs. Um, I always use the, the 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 funny story of this guy has taken the like he's confused the golfing industry in this country and outside of this country so much to the point where at the Australian PGA in 2017 we got paired with Sergio Garcia in the <laughs> final round and the tea the tea times came out and. There was Sergio Garcia, Lucas Herbert, Jack Wilson, and in a little tile above me was Riz. Like he made it onto the tiles of the grouping. No caddy has ever in the history of tea time release been put on the tiles. That's that's where it got to. And the look on Sergio's face when we stepped onto that tea that that Sunday morning was priceless. It's something... (laughs) But he and I saw Sergio last week at, at the Australian Australian Open, and every time he sees me, he just laughs. Like he just he just breaks out in a giggle. And I'm sure it's because of the fact that when he turned up to the first tee on the Sunday of that Australian PGA, he looked at us and went, "Oh, where are the cameras? Like this is a stitch up. This has got to be a stitch up." And we get nine holes in, and it only it only thickened the plot there because. I've hit it in the greenside bunker on the ninth. Sergio's hit it to 30 feet and he's waiting on the green. And I hit my bunker shot out and it was on his line and I needed to go up and mark my ball. And Sergio's doing his prep and I still haven't marked my ball. And he looks over and here's Riz handing me the rake. Yes. And I'm raking my own bunker. And he's standing on the edge of there just, just watching me. And Sergio did not know where to look, mate. And it was, <laughs> I remember looking up and looking at Sergio and going, Oh my God, this is the reigning masters champion. And you know, we're, we're making him wait to hit his putt because my caddy doesn't know how to rake bunkers. So it could be the best story that we've a, had on this podcast in the, the, the four months. That oh, we've mate, been going. This, that could be the best story we've had. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's so many more where that, that come from, but that's always one of the funny ones to sort of put it in the context of, of where Riz sits, but I've also had some of my best performances out there. And although he doesn't give me golf direction, he knows me better than anyone. Mm. And, you know, when it comes to pulling me in the line, when I'm acting like a child or I'm getting a little ahead of myself or, and I use, you know, again, I use that story to showcase how little he knows and how comedic it is out there. Mm. And then New Zealand PGA this year, um, he's on the bag and through seven holes, I'm two over, I'm having a meltdown and 
he just ripped me to pieces. Mm. And this is a guy that is as straight down the line, as kind as they come. He's currently doing his master's in education in primary and early childhood. Like he, he, he teaches kids, like three-year-olds and five-year-olds, English online every night of the week. Mm. That's what he does for a job. Mm. He's, he's passionate as they, compassionate as they come and he ripped me to pieces and yeah. it just stopped me in my tracks. And through the next 28 holes, I was 14 under and leading the golf tournament. And that's solely on him. I was missing the cut 100%. If I had anyone else on the bag that had to pull me up like that, I would have told him to leave and I would have carried my own clubs. Like there's no one that can do what he's able to do. And that puts into perspective why it's so, I'm so lucky to have him on the bag. And, And I just, you know, the dream growing up watching shows like Entourage was to go to work with your best mate. Yeah. And I get to go to work with my best mate. And that's pretty special. Yeah, it's a great story. It's a great story, Jack. And um, the chemistry between you two is, is undeniable. And I, and I get the feeling that, yeah, and, and it's highlighted by that story at the New Zealand Open, that no matter how shit things might be going on the golf course, you, you, your friendship's always going to be stronger and, you, and he'll pull you into line and you'll sing a few songs on the way down the fairway as, um, as you were in that video. And, and I encourage everyone to go and um, still sing the beards too, mate. Yeah. The beards. Yes. If, you haven't, if you haven't listened to them, you've got to look them up because the they are yes. some of the most creative bunch of artists getting around. It's just sad. They don't perform concerts anymore because I'd follow them around. I'd be one of their groupies 100%. We'd get them at the president's cup this week. Maybe. That'd be nice. On the we might get some of their chants going. Yeah. There's, there's some really good lines. <laughs> hey, Your dad um, doesn't have a beard. You've got two mums. That's yes. one of their best songs. <laughs> one of the all-time great lines. And it's the reason that I'm uh, starting to grow this little um, absolutely pathetic beard. And, and probably when I see you on Thursday morning, um, you'll, you'll laugh at me. You know, um, what the hell that thing growing on my face is. I want to ask you about your 58 now, not many people have hit a 58 in their life. Tell me about the 58 that you hit at the Hillsville Pro-Am. Yeah, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest straight up. It is a past 68. Doesn't matter. So, although it's a 58, it's 10, it's only 10 under, but it was something very special. And it was a interest, very interesting event because we got called off for lightning we went back out. There was a little bit of controversy with another another player and stuff out there. And, you know, I was at the time sitting on a, a player's committee role and my head wasn't in it and I was arguing. And all of a sudden I hold this putt on the last from 15 feet and the round was over and I was like, oh, right, that was, oh, yeah, that's 58. So it was, it was a weird one. It's not like ones that I've had before where I've, where I've sort of, I've known and, and you, you know, you're ecstatic. It was, it wasn't until after it all that I really went, yeah, hey, right. I just shot 58. That was pretty cool. You know? <laughs> and, um, you know, you, if I could go back, I'd probably, I'd, I'd really catalog it a little more and I guess, you know, enjoy every shot a little more, but it's certainly something special and something I'll, I'll have forever just to say I shot that. But yeah, it's a, it's a, again, mate, that now that's a venue that we need to hold more events around because it is a fun golf course where you can take on par fours and there's trouble, but if you get it right, there's, there's a lot of reward. And it was one of those days where it got going and, and yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming. Yeah. 58. Beautiful. Thanks for coming indeed. 
that's a hell of a day on a golf course. I've actually shot 58 on a, on a, on nine holes before Jack. So, I've, um, <laughs> so uh, we've got something in common uh, in many ways. Not, uh, yeah. not, not really. Um, hey, Adam Scott described you as one of, you had the chance to become uh, the next great Aussie player and then the next great Aussie sensation. I think it was after that, that PGA champion, the Aussie PGA where you finished behind him and Ricky, um, I suppose, what's it like to, to hear such high praise from a Masters champion, probably one of, if not Australia's greatest ever golfer that we've produced? Yeah, look, it was a, that was a very interesting time. I was, um, I'd won, I'm still doing my traineeship. Um, I'm in my third year. Mm. I've been in the VIS for six months. Um, I go and win WA PGA. I, I'd taken a week and a half off work. And I win that week and got to ring the boss and ask for another eight weeks off because I've just got a winner's category to play the rest of the Australian tour for the year. So it was a, you know, when I got there and then, mate, I hit in the practice round, I hit at least two shanks on Tuesday. And I think I hit one or two on Monday in the nine holes we played there as well. Mm-hmm. So I had very little expectation um, going into that week. And I did some work with my coach at the time Tuesday afternoon, I'll never forget it. Wednesday, I hit a few shots and I was like, oh, that was a little different in the pro-am I played. And then Thursday, it, it, it was quite good. And then Friday, it was better. And, you know, Friday when we made the cut, we went out for a three-course steak, red wine, dessert. We had oysters for entree. It was the greatest thing ever, just making the cut. And I had a good mate of mine on the bag who was also a trainee at the time up on the Gold Coast. Mate, we were, we were living the life. Yeah. When I shot the next, you know, the, the Saturday, I, I shot one of the best rounds of the day and, and sort of moved into that top 10 sort of contention. Um, Matt, I sat in the spa that night. We had a couple of ciders. We just reminisced <laughs> on how good it was to be, to be back, you know, to be up in contention with such a good field. And then yeah. Andy Marr was on-course commentator that week. And I'd known Andy for a little bit previous and, and have done for, for quite a few years now. And, um, He'd been he'd been just on my like just on me all all week just so encouraging, and he came up to me before the final round and said, "I'm really sorry, mate. I tried to I tried to get the guys to send me out with you and walk around with with you today, but they want me to go out with with one of the more high profile guys." I was like, "Oh, no worries, mate." And then I birdied three of the first six and he turned up and I said, "Oh, talk about jump on the monkey's back, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you, mate." And here he is, and then. And then we got some, we got through 12. I birdied 12 to go one behind Scotty and I was equal second. And then we got to 14 and the lightning come in and we got called off and I watched myself on TV for an hour and a half. And, mm. you know, in hindsight, yeah, it's a wonderful thing, but, you know, lost a bit of momentum. I came out here, had a bunker shot as my first shot, made double. Scotty lips out for Albatross, taps in for Eagle and I go from one behind to five behind and, the rest history. Um, and then for him to come out and say that, and I wouldn't encourage anyone to go back and watch any of the media I did because I was, I was, you know, I got beat down by Australian media after it because mm. I was just this young kid that was way out of his depth that was just trying to win a golf tournament. Like mm. I'd won a golf tournament a month before and, you know, of smaller level training events I'd won. I was just, I was there and I was in, I was in a position to win and I was just trying to win, you know, and I, mm. I, until that main delay and I watched myself on TV, I really didn't 
put into perspective how big it was. Um, And then, yeah, for him to come out and say that was, was huge. And it probably, it heightened the expectation that I had on myself again. And I think the following year really, and the following two years and, and even since then, it's, it's probably been a bit of a letdown, you know, it's not, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be out of place to say that's probably still my best result with mm. the field. He was world number one at the time and yeah. current masters champion. Um, so it was a big deal and Ricky was top 10, I think. So, you know, I'd, I'd given the best in the world at the time a, a run essentially. And I expected, every, and I'd never been overseas before. So then, in 2014, I spent 30 weeks overseas playing events all over the world. And I had this expectation that I'd just turn up to every golf event and keep winning and keep mm. playing well and, and keep being at the top. And, you, you know, it wasn't, wasn't ever, well, it wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't ever going to be the case, but it was going to be a lot more difficult than I could ever have imagined. And I wasn't prepared for that. And um, the expectation was really high. And then, I took some pretty hard hits confidence wise and, you know, sort of since then. And then, and then, yeah, then you fall into the, how do you deal with that though, Jack? You know, uh, I suppose it's, you know, you're, you're on the road for for 30 weeks and things aren't going to plan. You're spending your own money um, to, to, to be playing these tournaments. You're away from family and friends. How do you, how do you deal with that? I suppose, because golf can be a, a pretty lonely game sometimes. Absolutely, mate. And there are certainly times where, you know, I'd, I'd never been overseas before. As I said, now I'm, I'm on the other side of the world. And, um, I, I sat in hotel rooms after missing cuts by a couple of shots on the Challenge Tour in Europe. And I'm rooming them by myself. And, you know, I sat in hotel rooms going, geez, I'd, if I had known this is what it was going to be like, there's no way I'd do this. Why, why wouldn't I be back with all my mates just, mm-hmm. you know? working an accountancy job or something like that. You yeah. know, you question it. You, I'm 23, 24 at the time, sort of with no real understanding or anything to compare against. And, and now it's, you know, I still, I still have those dark times where you, you we miss a cut overseas and you know, you've outlaid three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 for that week just to be there. And then you don't make the cut and you don't make any money it's a pretty dark place to be sitting there going, geez, am I really, you know, am I really good enough? But I know how to deal with that now. You know, I know that there's a process in place and it's part of it. And sure, there's certain things that are out of my control and there's certain things that I most likely could have done better at that event. To, and, and you go back to the drawing board and you, you reassess and you go again. And it's but certainly made, and I certainly didn't, didn't expect it. And it was very tough. And, and it's something I still struggle with now. And, um, it's an expensive gig. I think that's something coming from the country where there's not much, you know, not much as a kid to, to have all that money come in at once and then, you know, chase the dream and double down and put it all on it and mm. see it all go again. And it's, um, it's a lot of pressure for, for sort of a, a young kid at the time. I, I guess I was it's not that, you know, like not that I really that old now, but it's, I feel like I've, I've lived a lot more now and it's, it's something you, you, you get desensitized to it a little bit or, you, or not desensitized, but you, you, you are starting to understand it a bit more. And it's, it's certainly tough. And when you, it's makes it even tougher when you, you're losing golf tournaments on the schedule in this country and you, your amount of opportunities are dwindling and 
you turn up to the big events four, maybe five times a year, and that's really your only opportunity to make make your wage for the year. It's, yeah, it's pretty tough when you only get five chances a five chances in a year, five yeah. weeks in a year. So it, it's definitely something that's tough. But at the same time, I'm playing sport for a living, mate, yeah. and you know, there's I've got it very, very lucky. No matter what financial hardship or anything like that you go through, it's nothing compared to many around the world or if nothing else, you know, in perspective with the work I've been doing with Challenge, I have it very, very good and I'm yeah. under no false pretense that that's the case. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point to, to, to add on and I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on the, on the, uh, the negatives uh, too much because this has been a, um, this has been a fantastic chat, but the, the Japan golf tour obviously this year was a, it was, geez, it was a bastard of a bastard of a series for you, wasn't it? It showed how how hard qualifying can be, how tough golf can be, and um, it just reared its ugly head at, at the wrong time. And uh, I, I feel for you, mate, because I know how hard and how much how hard you worked and how much money I suppose you would have put into that that tour. And um, yeah. yeah, it's it's a um, yeah, it's a tough tough spot to be in. Yeah, you don't want to harp on the money. Because, yeah. you know, it's just money. But yeah. it's one of those ones that, you know, you, I'd played reasonably well at an event earlier in the year and sort of got myself out of, you know, a bit of breathing space and you're sort of, you know, you're plotting along, you're doing bits and pieces and Q school comes up and you're like, well, I want to play this sport for a living and I want to keep pursuing it and keep moving forward. Then, you know, I've got to double down and I've, I've got to have a crack overseas and, Japan, that was an like that's it's been an emotional time these last few months for me. I'm not going to lie, like it's you know you you put it you you put your name in the ring and you you fork out that money, you get over there, and the first stage was probably oh, it was as tough as the third. Like I went to second stage first, and then third stage was what you what you're referring to. But yeah. Second stage, I qualified on the number, and mm. I thought I'd missed because you can't read any of the text. Yeah. And it's all broken in the translation. So when it come up, I thought it was 25 spots cut off. But what it actually said was 25 and ties. Yeah. And it tied 24th, it reached to 29th where I was. <laughs> and I was like last man in. So yeah. I qualified as last man to get the third stage and played awful that week. So but then I'm through and you're like, oh, well. And then you get balloted. So you, you choose a course as opposed. So I was the last one to pick. So I got given what was left, yeah. but that was the same course as the guy who won. He picked <laughs> it. So you're back to the start again. So I'm like, all yeah. right, clean slate. Here we go. Happy days. And you get over there and it just momentum's just a huge thing because you, it, it's such a hard mindset because almost every other event you turn up to win. Like you're there and you're like, yeah, I'm going to win. But at Q school, you know that winning and coming 20th, there's no difference. You just advance to the next stage. Yeah. So I found myself and, and I've spoken to other guys, you get conservative, just got to finish top 20. Yeah. I've just got to finish top 20. And then all of a sudden you're 30th with after two rounds, you're like, Oh, I'm just outside of your 40th. And you're like, Oh, and then with one round to go, you're sitting just outside the number. And you're like, Oh, how did I even get here? Like I've played conservatively and, and pretty average instead of just playing my game. And then, yeah, look, to, to miss by one spot, you know, when particularly when they posted the the sheet and, you know, I missed by one one shot, but mm. the line was drawn just above my name. Yeah. Um, 
it, it was it was tough. It's hard to swallow because, yeah, it's a it's a big outlay and an outlay that I probably couldn't afford, but didn't have a choice really in the mm. in the scheme of things. You know, you've got to. The last thing I want to do is sit back in a number of years and go, yeah, but what if? You yeah. know, I, I really should have had a crack at that, and you know, I did, and I gave it everything, and I, and and I gave it a right crack right down the stretch there too, and it just hurts to miss by a shot because I hit even the last three holes, hit some incredible shots and lipped out from ten feet on sixteen and seventeen, and you're like, oh, but if it's just if. Yeah. But then at the same time, you that's just the nature of the beast in this sport. And then, you know, you sit back and go, well, if it's that close and then maybe it just wasn't meant to be, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's, it's, it wasn't meant to be this year. Maybe I wasn't in my best position and I'm, I'm got something else that's going to happen in the next week. You know, it could have been last two weeks. It might be next week and something bigger happens. And, and that's the, that's the beauty of the beast as well, because in one week, everything can change. And that's the only reason we we chase, still chase it, because the carrot is huge, yeah, and it dangles just out in front of you, and it's not too far out of reach. And no. we all know that. Yeah, and I think it's a great. There's a great outlook to have on life as well, Jack. It's a great outlook to have on life. What's What's the plan? I suppose from from here, I suppose take the um, the Aussie PGA aside. What's What's the plan for Jack Wilson golf wise? Mate, it's an interesting question. It's one that I'm probably addressing a little different to what I have in previous years. Um, I'm just at a time where I'm maybe just starting to mature a little bit. And, um, you know, with the decline of golf in this country, tournament golf, Mm. the opportunity to make a living has dwindled a little bit. And there's a lot of great players. You mentioned, yeah, Justin Warren on last week. Mate, incredible golfer. Just another young guy that's just got his card turned pro middle of the year the, the guys are coming through and and i can compete and have no problem believing that i can compete at the top still but you know i just there's a few things that i want to just sort of get in order and get a little bit of security and you know i think next year i'll, I'll aim to play the big ones in australia and, and the events that i can and i'll i'll just build my game and i'll address a few technical issues and i'll i'll probably have to do some work on the side and there's a couple little ventures that i'm interested in pursuing a little bit both in the golf industry and outside of it um that i want to just sort of play around with a little bit and while yeah honing my game and getting ready for q schools overseas at the sort of september october of next year yeah i'll i'll do some work and and just you know just go into the dark a little bit and and train and, and get things ready to hopefully come back with a little more hair at September. Yeah, grow the dreadlocks back. And what I'll have. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. We'll see. Oh. There, was, there was a lot of there was a lot of work growing the dreadlocks, but <laughs> it's. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to cope with losing them. So to set myself up for that again might be might be too hard. But yeah. we'll see what uh, we'll see what comes. Definitely, it's it's not out of the question. Hey, it's a big week for, for, for Aussie golf. We've got the President's Cup in town. You've, you've mentioned you've got um, a bit of involvement with you and Riz and, and a few media pieces and you've got, a, you've got a couple of ticket giveaways going on on your Instagram profile at the moment. It's, I suppose it's, a, it's an exciting time for Australian golf to be hosting the President's Cup, particularly because Tiger Woods is in town and, and I know it would still be exciting even if he wasn't playing, but um, it adds a little bit of something extra but I think it's also a really important time to capitalise on on this extra 
um, focus on on golf in Australia and everyone's um, all eyes are on Royal Melbourne. You've played down in the sand belt a little bit. Um, what's what's your predictions for the President's Cup? How do you think that's all going to pan out over the next few days? Yeah, mate, I think, you know, being down there and being lucky enough to be, you know, involved a little bit and be out there and get to witness the spectacle that I'm sure it's going to be, I really hope come Sunday in the singles, it's a tight match. But it's um, it's going to be tough. The American side is stacked and, you know, if there's one person that you mentally don't want to come up against in match play, it's the big cat himself. So, yeah. um, and, and he's leading the charge. So it's going to be, and, and I think we've all seen with the resurgence of him and, and the way he's carrying himself at the moment, um, it's going to be pretty hard for the boys not to get behind him. And um, don't get me wrong. The internationals have, have got three Aussies that are, that are well equipped around the sand belt. You've got Cameron Smith, who's arguably got the best short game of anyone playing mm. this week. Um, you've got Leash, who has shown time and time again, he can, he's not intimidated by any of those big boys and can take it down to the, down to the wire with any of them. Um, and Scotty, mate, he's, he's looking good. Um, yeah. I was chatting to him last week. He's fit. He seems happy. Um, you know, and I think that's a pretty powerful thing to have. And, you know, with a golf swing like that, it's going to hold up. And that's just the Aussies. Not to mention some of, you know, Ben Man and, and these guys are going to, are going to feel like they've got an opportunity that's pretty massive um, playing on a stage that is bigger than a lot of them have probably played on before. Although they've generally, a lot of them have competed on the PGA Tour. This is next level mm. where you talk about, Ricky Fowler and and the boys that are playing in the in the US team, um, you know, they've sort of been there before, and yeah. hopefully the internationals can can use that that opportunity sort of feel to to get a leg up or or, or sort of catch them offside a little bit and, and get ahead early. And I think it uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun week, mate. I think yeah, there's um there's a lot of unknowns. I think in the internationals, yeah, but. That's not to say we uh, we won't be right there in the in the end. Man. I think it's going to be a good week. Yeah, it's going to be a great week. And uh, the, the team at the PGA has done a fantastic job in, in putting everything together. And and I cannot wait to get over there and and sink my teeth into every aspect of um, of President's Cup week. And um, I'll be sure to come and say g'day to you and and the fanatics. Uh, I'm sure sledging uh, a few of uh, a few of the US team. From the grandstands, mate. This has been a a ripping chat. I've thoroughly enjoyed this, and and we've gone for it is officially the longest episode we've done. And and apologies for keeping you up so late, but it's been been an absolute ripper. Before we do go, mate, um, the dreaded shave. Just remind us one more time where we can where we can donate, where we can learn more, and um, yeah, just give us that link one more time. Yeah. So challenge www.challenge.org.au forward slash donation. Um, make sure you check, yeah, check the dreaded shave button. Um, I just, yeah, I, I can't, can't say a big enough thank you for, for everyone that's got behind already and, and everyone that, that might hear this and, and chip in. It's a fantastic cause. And, and Nath, I really appreciate you having me on, mate. Don't, don't even worry about the, uh, the time. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure having a chat and, mate, I really, uh, I really love what you boys are doing and, um, 
hopefully this uh, this podcast can start open up uh, open up the eyes of a few people both in the industry and out and and uh, help bring the resurgence of golf in this country. That's the plan, mate. That's the plan. It's been a ripping chat, mate. We need we need more people like you in golf and, and talking about golf and playing golf and in positions in golf to make decisions, mate. It's been an absolute ripper. Thanks so much for joining us on the 19th tee. Um, look forward to, to catching up on uh, on Thursday out at uh, Royal Melbourne. It's going to be a ripping week. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, we'll be sure to keep in touch and, and keep tabs on uh, on everything that happens in your career, mate. Cheers, mate.